0: I am hopeful that it has been challenging and encouraging to you to seek first Christ and his kingdom. Uh, the invitation of Christ is for us to seek the kingdom first and foremost in Christ's righteousness. We've been encouraged that there's a Father who loves us and knows what we need. Challenged not to be filled with worry, but to trust and know that we have a Father in heaven who loves us, cares deeply for us. We've been informed that the kingdom of God is now at hand and that there are blessings and, and hope and salvation for people that it's completely unexpected. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those uh, who are humble. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And Jesus is inviting us to see a, an upside-down uh, view on the world and that is the right si- uh, upside-down world is actually right-side up in the kingdom of God. It's the lowly and the least of these that are the greatest. I was reminded of this simple truth at camp this week. There were, there were a couple of humble and unassuming campers who, uh, at first glance, you wouldn't think uh, much about. Uh, and often I think that they're probably overlooked in their, in their uh, lives at school. Uh, both of them quite a bit smaller than uh, smaller than the rest of the kids. Uh, but they were mighty in their faith and their talents and their use of those talents. Uh, one young man, his name was Ryan, He uh, just this little guy. And he was uh, so sweet and so kind. And uh, he said, Jordan, I can play the piano. I said, oh, that's great. You know, the kid tells you you can play the piano, you're expecting you know, a little Mary had a little lamb or something along those lines. I said, oh, that's great, you know, and he kept telling me all week, hey, I can play piano. Well, finally on, on Thursday, he had the opportunity. He said, hey, here's a piano. Can I play it? I was like, why not? Give it a go. The Next thing I know, this kid is like busting out uh, the greatest showman theme songs. And uh, I'm like, well, that's pretty good. And, and then uh, Emily Bidding was there and she played a worship song. And Ryan stepped right up and he started playing the worship song. And I was like, can you play this? And he, I was like, yeah, I can play that. And he started playing that song. And, I, and then we just started, you know, just challenging him. One of the faculty said, can you play a little Billy Joel? And he could. And I, it was incredible. It was, it was one of the most amazing little moments. And I said, Ryan, I bet you can sing, can't you? He said, yeah, a little bit. And this kid had perfect, just beautiful pitch, and he started singing a worship song. I was just like this small, unassuming little kid. Well, then we uh, we have uh, we have campers pray during uh, before the meals, and uh, there was another young man, Caden, and just another just young, unassuming young man, and and uh, he. He prayed, and it was like you were entered into the inner sanctuary with God when he prayed. And you were praying with, um, honestly, Sally, it was like praying with Harold. His love for God, it was like, holy cow, this kid's been talking to God for forever. And then he closes his prayer. And in the sweet and precious name of Jesus, my Lord and Savior, <laughs> I'm like, like who is this kid? And none of us felt worthy to pray at all after after him. Uh, but I, I share those stories with you just uh, because those were those just those moments where you felt like God's kingdom was breaking in, and we feel so hopeless about um, feel so hopeless about the world at times. We can be fearful as Christians and and. Uh, filled with a lot of worry, you know. Jesus, he teaches us that um, that that nothing will overcome the church. In fact, he says that the gates of of hell won't overcome. <laughs> the gates of hell won't uh, won't overcome. And what we might miss is that the gates on any fortification are the weakest point. And what Jesus, I think, might be instructing us is that, um, that hell's not on attack with us. In fact, we've broken in, and, and the church is on, uh, on the offense. It's hell that's on the defense. And I think we live in a world sometimes where we're fearful that, the, that hell is breaking in on us when we're storming the gate, and the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. And friends, the gospel uh, uh, and the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us that we have uh, a Savior and a leader and a King who's breaking into this world and showing us the way of suffering love and that there is a way forward for us to live. We're going to wrap up the sermon this morning. And it's chapter 7, and we're going to read a good chunk of it. Some of, uh, some of, if not most of this, will be familiar to you. I challenge us to hear this morning a, a fresh word from God. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the me- measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek, find. And those who knock, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. How do you prefer to be treated? I spent the last uh, week with 4th, 5th, and 6th grade kids and I had to say a few different times that you need to go and treat others the way that you want to be treated. I've been in classrooms, uh, one in particular, I'd like to say the teacher's name in the class, but that's over, the class year is over, and uh, I'll cut them some slack. But I subbed in there one time and I said, I'm never doing that again because I had to teach the kids over and over again, treat others the way you want to be treated. And apparently they wanted to be treated like garbage and belittled and yell at each other and they ate each other alive. Um, I think the Donner Party was a more friendly bunch. Honestly, they were terrible. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. Uh, Bad joke, I know. I'll keep moving on. Uh, But Jesus, he sums up for us his entire sermon so simply. Treat others the way you want to be treated. As a father, I want to give my children the very best thing that I can give them and that's a relationship with their Heavenly Father. And as I look at our world, and I realize that this is not always the thing that our fathers pass along to their children. And sometimes it's abandonment. Sometimes it's insecurities and frustrations. But as a child of God, I want to offer the same gift to my children. So as we close out the Sermon on the Mount, I want to offer us a simple encouragement to live the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Today's text is a popular one. It's popular between followers of Jesus and even popular among those who are not. There are people who don't know any of the Bible, but they can tell us, do not judge. They probably know the golden rule too: treat others the way you want to be treated, but that's not the particular quote they say as often. They love to say, do not judge. You've perhaps said this yourself. Or I've had others say this to you. Perhaps you've questioned someone's lifestyle. Or you said that was that was stupid or whatever. And someone responds with, Don't you know you're not supposed to judge? What this has come to mean in our culture, I believe, is don't question my life. Don't condemn me. Don't make me feel bad for what I've done. We have taken Jesus' words, do not judge, and we've used them here as a permission slip. A permission slip to live our lives however we want. Do not judge me. I'm going to do whatever it is that makes me happy. The world and many Christians believe that Jesus' condemnation of judgment results in a sort of cultural wisdom that believes this following statement that's infuriating to be true. You be you. You be you. Be the best version of yourself. Don't let anyone keep you from finding yourself in your your true self. Is that what Jesus intended when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged? Jesus is concerned, I I believe, more with the measuring rod that we use in assessing others. And for Jesus, what I believe he is saying here is, is that we have a tendency to be very gracious with ourselves and very critical of others. Gracious with ourselves and critical of others. And what I believe Jesus is doing is he's calling us away from hypocrisy and towards healing. Jesus is questioning our measuring stick. And so here the first problem, I think, is that we are pretty bad at uh, using our measuring tool very well. We have gracious measurements of ourselves. For instance, I believe myself to be the most excellent driver. If you drive slower than me, you're a slowpoke. And if you drive faster than me, you're a maniac. Right? I'm sure that you all have the same self (laughs) sort of assessment. Or how about people driving down the road with their brights on? Those morons. I can't believe they would do that. Not that I would ever forget to turn my brights off. Or someone is on their phone while they're driving. Oh, my righteous indignation rises, but first let me change uh, my podcast on my phone. Let the person who has never looked at their phone, albeit to make a text, call a number, check Facebook, pull up music, cast the first stone. Never mind the fact that we've made the mistakes all too many times ourselves. I believe Jesus is teaching us that we are notoriously bad at measuring ourselves rightly. That we get our rightness and our wrongness a little mixed up. And we rarely see situations well enough to assess them with any sort of sound judgment. We don't get a very good read on ourselves, so what makes us think that we can make a very good assessment of others? And so what we have, I think, culturally and for ourselves, is ignorance of others we have a critical spirit and we have poor self-assessment and if you have ignorance of others and you have a critical spirit and you have a poor self-assessment you have all the necessary ingredients to be hypocrites and i think that that's the point of jesus's teaching here at the front end of our text this hypocrisy and alienates us from really being very helpful Jesus instructs us, take the plank out of our eyes so that we can see clearly to help the person get the speck out of theirs. Jesus is concerned with hypocrisy and he's concerned with us helping. And so I think we need to get the right ingredients so we can be helpful. Instead of of ignorance of others, we should seek to understand. Instead of just sort of condemning someone and saying, you know, they're that way and who cares get to know them and seek to understand who they are. Instead of a critical spirit, which is so easy to have, we must have an encouraging spirit and find ourselves before God saying, let me have a spirit of encouragement. Instead of poor self-assessment, I think we need to have a humble spirit. A humble spirit that clearly confesses, uh, uh, clearly seeks, I'm sorry, confesses their sins and clearly sees our own faults. And so let's see if this checks out. Jesus is teaching us, I believe, a measurement of grace. Treat others the way you want to be treated. I am quite forgiving of myself. How are you at forgiving others? You know, I I think about going to, uh, I think about going to Subway, and literally every time I go to Subway, you know, they cut the sandwich in half, And Wendy and I get the same exact sub, but the half isn't a real half, right? There's a side that's a little bit bigger than the other. And you know who gets the bigger half? This guy. This guy. Every single time, you know, I treat myself well. The point of today's sermon is, give the bigger half of the sandwich to the other person. I know, it's pretty complex, deep stuff here, guys. But if we would get that little thing down... I think it's like the sort of domino effect where it's like, you know, I can give the bigger piece of sandwich. And Wendy's not going to finish the whole thing anyways. I get, the, I get the rest anyways so I can be a good guy on the onset and still reap the reward. I know. You guys got one verse last week and it was that was it. And, and you know, really deep. Uh, we're talking about sandwiches this week. But uh, I think you get the point. If we would just start these small acts of kindness that we would we would put others before ourselves. I want the larger sandwich, but we're called to give graciously. I make incidental mistakes leaving my bright headlights on, or I forget to turn my uh, put my turn signal on, or I accidentally cut someone off, or occasionally I might justify the use of my cell phone. How about comparing my parenting or comparing Uh, my kids with other people's kids who are misbehaving. At least my kids don't do that. Never mind that my kids may have just made a mistake, but man, that kid is terrible. Use the same measurements you have used for yourself with others. Treat others the way you want to be treated, and instead of a critical spirit of condemnation, what if we said we're going to offer other people grace? Jesus is not, instru- is not instructing us to not judge at all. We make judgments all the time, and wisdom requires that we assess and make right decisions. That's judgment. And Jesus, he illustrates it with shedding light on gift-giving as fathers. We know how to give good gifts as fathers, even though we're, we're evil. And we know to give our kids bread when they ask for it, and we know to give them a fish, not a snake. We give them what they need, and we don't give them a snake instead of a puppy. We make right assessment. We make good judgments. And though we are evil, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. And I think Jesus is uh, inviting us to treat one another this way, and that it's possible for us to do that. We love our kids when we give, and we can trust and know that our Heavenly Father hears for us and cares for us. So go ahead and treat others the way you want to be treated. We learn in the scriptures that God is a good father. We have learned that he sees what is done in secret and he rewards and blesses his children, that he gives his children what they need and he hears them and he hears their requests and he clothes them and he feeds us and he rewards us. We have a heavenly father who loves us even though we are evil and we can still give good gifts. There is hope for us following our heavenly father and trusting in him and seeking him to give what is good so we use this measuring rod the measuring rod we use is to treat others the way we ourselves want to be treated and jesus expects for us that we will remove the plank from our eyes that we might see clearly and help others the plank obscures our vision And we can't see clearly enough to help people who are in need of it. If we continue to sin, we won't see well enough to help others. A few weeks ago, I took Audrey to the eye doctor. You've perhaps noticed new eyeglasses for Audrey, and she is doing very well with them. Now, uh, she has a fairly strong prescription. Uh, And we like totally bungled the parenting thing here like you should have picked up on this Uh, She wasn't walking into doors or anything, but uh, it was it was pretty bad Like she couldn't tell the big like she got the big E And then she failed after that like and she knows her alphabet. She's pretty smart, and so uh, It was bad, but she put the glasses on and and for the first time and her way of saying things uh, were better was she said daddy everything is bigger and so everything was bigger for her and she could see well after a week of having her glasses sweet Audrey came up to me and she said daddy thank you for taking me to the eye doctor so I can see it's like talk about sweet but then also like you know a stab in the heart like you haven't been able to see this entire time we were clueless that she couldn't see well Until her well child checkup, and they picked up on it. Jesus is teaching us that we all have a hard time seeing. We all have impaired vision. And (laughs) stop. Jesus is teaching us that we all have a hard time seeing. We all have impaired vision. And we are often blind to our own sinfulness. We are at our greatest blindness. We are at our greatest blindness before we meet Jesus. But once we meet him, we begin to follow him, and we are shaped by him, and we begin to see more clearly. We need Jesus to take the plank out of our eyes. And I think that's what he's talking about when he says pearls to pigs. Pearls to pigs is talking about the order of discipleship. We can cast all the wisdom we want on a world but they aren't going to receive it well until they know who Jesus is. Jesus takes the plank of sin. Jesus rubs the muddy dirt in our eyes and he washes it clean with his spit so that we can see clearly. Jesus is teaching us not to condemn others. He's teaching us to forgive and be forgiven ourselves. That's the measurement we want used on us and it's the measurement we ought to be using on others. If I am honest with myself, though, I recognize that there are sins that I am more critical of than others. And these are things that Jesus still needs to do some eye work on. The prescription is Jesus to heal me, to forgive me, to lead me, and transform me. Those things that I'm more critical of because I haven't yet struggled with it or perhaps that I do struggle with it a great deal. This is the picture of discipleship. It's forgiveness, it's healing, it's help, it's mercy. It's God's grace pouring out of us. It's the good tree bearing up good fruit out of the goodness stored up within it. It's one image right after the next, a collection, a collage of pictures, a true picture of discipleship. In the end, it's all a question about becoming a loving, gracious reflection of God's loving kindness his righteousness and faithfulness in our world. The Sermon on the Mount has been used to challenge disciples has been used to challenge disciples to live for God and seek first His kingdom and righteousness. There are more more books than I can count, but particularly there was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who used the Sermon on the Mount to say there is a cost of discipleship. And Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, he uses the Sermon on the Mount to teach us that we need to become more like Christ and seek his kingdom. But I see not not the cost of discipleship as the greatest need today, but to reject and move away from lazy discipleship. It's human nature for us to take the easy path. Everyone finds the easy path. Few take the narrow way of God's kingdom. What I have found true in lazy discipleship is this. It's easier to condemn others than it is to confess to God my faults. It's easier to stay ignorant than it is to inquire. It's easier to measure my sinfulness with grace and mercy than it is to offer mercy and grace to others. It's much easier for me to justify my behavior and condemn the behavior of others. It's easier for me to look afar and have stereotypes. It's easy to have lazy discipleship, and it's really no discipleship at all. We are called to the narrow way, a way that few people find. Let's seek to understand. Let's break down barriers of judgment. Let's seek to... Christ in the confession of our sins. Let's seek Christ in the humbling of our spirit. The planks of sin will continue to obscure our vision and hinder our compassion if we stay lazy disciples of Christ. And so we get off our rumps and we get on our knees, and it leads us to prayer. To a time with God that says, Lord, I'm blinded by my pride and my ego. I am blinded by my sin. Humble me, heal me, and forgive me, Lord, that I might be compassionate and loving towards others. When we seek forgiveness, when we seek healing and we seek help from God, we are much healthier ourselves to treat others well. We are more likely to be merciful, compassionate, and hospitable. Here's the measure that we use. The measure we use is love. Love never fails, it doesn't keep records of wrongs. You see, the second part of do not judge is that God will use the same measurement he we use on others with us. God will judge us, and He will use our measuring stick. It makes you consider how you treat people. Are you critical? Are you condemning? We don't look at this text and say, well, we should no longer worry about sin then. If we do that, then there's nothing that can be held against us. Let people just live their lives judgment-free. You be you. Well, I think the cross of Christ points us to a different interpretation entirely. And here it is. You Be like Christ. Jesus wants all the planks of sin removed that we might see clearly, that we might see lovingly, that we might see mercifully. mercifully. Otherwise, why die on the cross? Friends, he, he longs to heal us and to love us, to forgive us, Jesus is not saying no more judging, rather ready ourselves for the judgment of God. Good and bad fruit, false prophets and true prophets, the narrow and wide gate, these are all judgments. Will we bear good fruit? We have to discern that. So God redeems us not to offer condemnation and judgment on the world. He redeems us not to cast our pearls onto pigs and people who won't receive it. Rather, Jesus redeems us to give us our own story of redemption. Saying, I once was lost, but now I am found. The spirit of this text is like Audrey's words to me. Daddy, thank you for taking me to the eye doctor so that I may see. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus that we can see. Father, I can see clearly how you have redeemed me and saved me from death and sin. I can see clearly how you have been faithful and caring for me as your child. I can see clearly how you're at work in my life and the lives around me. So please, Lord, keep improving my vision that I might see well enough to love others and treat them well. Help me to tell the story of your redeeming love that others might come and know you too and see you and have their vision healed as well. God redeems us because he's on the lookout for people who will use his gracious measurement with the world. The question is, will we be that people? Will we use the same measuring stick of love that God has used for us. Go and be his disciples, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and share your story with someone who needs to know not the condemnation of God, but the forgiveness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for your Son. You have given us life and hope and salvation through Jesus Christ. And I ask God that you would continue to guide us as your children, to be your servants. As we have studied uh, your your word and the sermon that uh, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, and God, we we trust in Jesus and His word to be true. Let us be a people who hears His words and obey them. And Father, for those who are far off, we pray that our message would be clear and heard well that people would come to faith in your son Jesus that they would know of the hope of heaven and salvation we thank you for the redeeming love of Christ and his healing and his grace God let us be a people who treat others the way you've treated us sacrificial love forgiveness, mercy and grace you are good to us God let us be good to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see in the Scriptures a loving Father who knows His children what His children need, a loving Father who is caring for His creation, a loving Father who has done all He can to seek and save the lost, a loving Father who is redeeming us and helping us to see. We are His children, the redeemed. And so I invite you today to come and respond to him. Respond in prayer. Respond in confession. Respond in seeking first Christ's kingdom. Respond in costly discipleship. Carrying your cross. Let's stand and continue in our worship.